We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. Thank you everyone for joining us, especially during your summer break. We're so excited to be here and welcome to the Foundational Skills and Middle School ELA EdWeb. We're going to be talking about taking a functional approach to building those foundational skills at the middle school level. I'm joined by Michelle Burns and Ryan Bailey today, and we'll be uh, meeting them in just a couple of moments. I am going to be your moderator for today. My name is Melissa Day. I work in product marketing at HMH. I work with the Into Literature product, which is our ELA uh, curriculum for grades 6 through 12. Um, and I've spent most of my career in the middle school classroom. So all of you middle school teachers, you are my people. I'm so thrilled to be on with all of the middle school teachers today. And Michelle is also former middle school. So we've got, we're really excited to be with our people today. I do want to take a minute to talk to you about HMH into literature because we have designed this curriculum with teachers in mind and specifically to meet the needs of middle school learners for six through eight. Uh, we provide consistent opportunities for students to practice and master their reading skills through structured routines and research-based activities that help students go beyond fluency and into higher order reading comprehension skills. And we also make it a goal and aim to have diverse, relevant, and relatable texts for those middle schoolers so that they're actually engaged in what they're learning. And we also know that as teachers, you've got so much going on. It's incredibly difficult to keep up with all of the research and the things that are constantly coming out about teaching students to read and middle schoolers and all of the things that uh, comprise teaching students. So we have teacher implementation support, not only for our program, but also ongoing professional development opportunities that are specific to your grade level and subject matter. So I highly encourage you to check out Into Literature if you're interested and want some more information. And without further ado, I want to present to you our speaker today. We've got Dr. Michelle Burns and Ryan Bailey, but I will let them introduce themselves. Michelle, will you want to start us off? Sure. So welcome, everyone. My name is Michelle Burns. Um, I, as I said before, I grew up in the Bronx. I am formerly Torres. No one knew that because last name is Burns. But I grew up in the New York City school system. And my husband brought me to New Jersey. Don't hold it against me. Um, <laughs> but with that, you know, I was able to really get to understand learning in both a, a city environment and also teaching both in a city and a suburban environment. I have been a lifelong learner. And as you can see, because I was, as Ryan and I were talking, I have been, you know, bachelor's, you know, master's, doctorate. And if my, if my husband wouldn't divorce me, I'd probably continue and do another degree, but I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> but with that, you know, I really love to learn. And that's the thing that I always like to continue with trainings and really bring in that joy of learning with all of our students, because it really is important that we give that joy and that access to education to every single student. So Ryan, take it away. <laughs> 
Thanks, Dr. Burns. Uh, my name is Ryan <laughs> Bailey. Uh, I am a, a national content specialist uh, like Michelle with HMH. So we have the privilege of being able to travel all over the country and talk to folks like yourselves who are doing amazing work with young people in classrooms in really challenging circumstances. I mean, we know it is a tough time to be an educator right now, uh, but it, the work that you're doing is has never been more critical and more needed. So we really consider it an honor to be able to support you and to support the work that you're doing. Uh, I'm also a former ELA teacher. Uh, I primarily taught ninth grade, dipped my toes in the middle school a little bit, but I kind of think ninth grade is advanced middle school, so to speak. Uh, so I did all my teaching in uh, Michigan. Uh, so if any Michiganders on the on the phone, uh, good good to good to be with you. Good to be with everybody. But I, as I mentioned earlier, I currently live in Chicago, uh, and again, just really enjoy. Uh, the work that we do in being able to engage and support people across the country. Awesome. Thank you, guys. So we're going to start off today with a little poll. We're going to be talking about, I'm sure you saw on the title, foundational skills at the middle school level. So I want to start off by asking you, how important is foundational uh, middle school foundational skill building or what's now being called the science of reading in your district? Is it something that you're currently implementing and having trainings for? Are you talking about it, but not super sure how to implement? You've heard about it, but don't really know how it applies to your grade level. Or maybe this is the first time you have ever heard of the science of reading or foundational skills, or maybe you've never heard about it in the context of middle school. Okay, so we've got a lot of results coming in. It looks like most people are responding that they've talked about it. You've maybe heard a little about a bit a little bit about it, but you're not sure how to implement. We've got a few people who. Um, are having conversations and trainings. That is so exciting and we love to hear that. And some that are hearing about it for the very first time. All of this is super exciting for us. That means that we're all gonna learn a lot today. So like I mentioned before, please feel free to ask questions. If we say a term or something that's unfamiliar to you, throw it in the chat. We are happy to expound upon it. I'm gonna go ahead and close our poll. Yes, it looks like we don't know how to implement. Great news, you're in the right place because we're gonna be talking about implementing foundational skills in the science of reading at the middle school level. Uh, but before we jump in with Ryan and Michelle, I want to take a minute to really kind of set the foundation for what we mean whenever we're talking about science of reading, building on foundational skills, or um, building up to skilled reading, because all of these terms mean the same thing. It essentially is just a body of research on how students learn to read and how we can take them from the basically reading words on the page, expanding to becoming confident, competent readers through this evidence-based instructional approach that's now being called the science of reading. Now, most people have heard of the science of reading in the context of the elementary school level. And usually when we think about the science of reading, we think of word recognition skills. So teaching students phonics, teaching them how to decode words, teaching them sight words. And that is absolutely a part of the science of reading and foundational skills. Um, we typically assume that those skills have been mastered or should be mastered and uh, students should be reaching towards automaticity with those skills by around the third or fourth grade level. But there is this whole other part of the science of reading that 
goes beyond just the elementary school level and into the middle school level. And this is those language comprehension skills. So things like building background knowledge, expanding their vocabulary word, um, and giving them information about language structures. Those are things that they may be covering at the elementary school level, but those are ongoing skills that even as you go into high school and college, you're still building background knowledge. You're still being exposed to vocabulary words you've never heard before. And so all of this points to a need for a a continuation of the skilled reading journey and points to a need for applying the science of reading pedagogy in the middle school classroom. So some of you may have seen this little image that I have on the screen here. This is Scarborough's reading rope, and it uh, kind of talks about and gives us a nice image for all of the elements that go into a student learning how to read. And we talked about these on the last slide. We've got word recognition and language comprehension. Now, like we said, word recognition is typically something that we expect students to have uh, automaticity in at the elementary school level. But when you think about these other elements of language comprehension, building background knowledge, vocabulary, language structures, all of these are constantly ongoing. And what we've noticed, especially post-COVID, is that we've got students that are coming into the middle school classroom with varying ranges of mastery in these skills. You might have students who are coming in who are reading at a 12th grade level. They can identify words right away. They can apply those concepts right away. And they have not only comprehension, but the ability to think critically about text. That's incredible. Uh, But we also have students who are coming in who may be struggling still with decoding words, especially as those words um, become more and more complex at the middle school level and they're reading more complicated texts and they're still struggling to decode. And then we've got lots of kids in between. Um, a lot of a lot of times we get a question questions about the science of reading where people are kind of convinced that it means that it would require students to be uh, go, go into intervention, essentially. And while that may be the case, like if you still have your students who are struggling to decode words, that's absolutely an intervention need. Those students need to be provided with the support to get them to the appropriate reading level. Uh, Just because you have a student who might be struggling with vocabulary or something in that language comprehension, that's not necessarily something that requires intervention. That just requires continued instruction and refinement of those skills over time. And that's really the middle school teacher's bread and butter. That is what we are focusing on when we talk about foundational skills in the middle school classroom. So now that we've set the stage for that, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Ryan and Michelle. So we've kind of set a solid foundation for what foundational skills kind of look like or what we mean when we're saying foundational skills in the middle school classroom. Uh, For you guys, what does it mean to you or how do we practically implement foundational skills in the middle school classroom. So I want to kind of start off with, and I always give this analogy. When you remember when you first learned how to drive a car, it was terrifying, right? There were so many things to remember. You had to think about your mirrors. You had to think about, you know, the, for me, the, the turn indicator, right? Which one was left, which one was right. And if I messed up, if, you know, the brake, the the gas, it was all these different pieces. And then after a while, 
everything became much more fluid. And for some of us, I'm guilty, you forget how you got home. That happened to anybody, right? That's automaticity. That's what we're looking for when our students are building those skills on that lower part of the reading rope. Now, in order to get to the top part of that reading rope, we also want our students to be engaged in what they're reading. So we want them to be excited. We want them to, to have some buy-in, right? Remember toddlers when they have us reading that same story over and over and over again? That's where, if you notice those strands were threading together, that's when we're able to get them to say, okay, well, what do you think the characters mean in this piece? What do you mean with this? If I don't have the automaticity, I'm not able to look towards those more complex texts. And that's really why they kind of go hand in hand. Most people assume that science of reading is just about those foundational skills, and it can't. It has to move towards both. And it really is important to ensure that our students are excited and engaged while still building upon those skills. Now, we, I know Ryan and I were talking about this before. Sometimes those foundational skills, if a student is struggling on the decoding part and we are in, you know, if we are 13 years old and I'm struggling with putting sounds together, there's something deeper. There may, may be something deeper there. And that's where we may need to look a little bit further. That could be a cause for intervention. But, you know, it could be something else, right? It could be a lack of engagement. In middle school, I know your class is anything like mine. If they're not engaged, they're off, right? If they are engaged, they can do anything. Middle school is an interesting, I always say that there should be a, like Ryan said it, there, you know, you are, we are a special breed of middle school teachers. <laughs> we absolutely know that, you know, a middle school student can do anything, but they have to want to. Yeah. Right. So with that, we need to make sure that we are getting them, giving them not only the tools, but giving them the agency and the encouragement to want to do those different pieces. Right. And Ryan, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think the, obviously in a perfect world, we would love to have that automaticity well-established by the time a student gets into middle school. Uh, we know that we don't live in a perfect world. And so what then happens, I think, in a, in a middle school classroom to support that is the identification of, is this a motivation issue or is it a, a, a lack of skills issue? And to your point, Michelle, maybe there is a need for some intervention. Maybe there is a need just for some extra scaffolding within the classroom. Uh, or maybe it is just finding content that's engaging and captivating uh, for our students uh, to work through. So that, that of course, takes a variety of of things, uh, you know, we were talking about like lengths of texts, you know, having sufficiently complex texts, but that are perhaps a little bit shorter as a way of guiding students in. Uh, there's a variety of, of ways that we can think about that. Having texts that speak to the experiences of the students in our classroom, uh, obviously uh, making sure that students see themselves reflected in those texts is a huge engagement issue. 
but then also on top of the types of texts, making sure that we are still building in some of those systematic language uh, instructional practices, because obviously students still need some pretty detailed practice in things like vocabulary and grammar and other resources that are more complex than what they learned in K-5, but hopefully building on that foundational approach. Uh, and I know that's always real tricky because classes get a lot bigger in middle school, right? Like I imagine many of you have class loads where you're dealing with 100, 120, 150 kids. And so that mm -hmm. becomes more complex, uh, but still building those routines in uh, seems to indicate or seems to point towards making sure that they are uh, effective in that language development over time. Yeah, absolutely. And remember that those skills don't just stop, right? We could, like anything else, we have to continue to practice them. So fluency, uh, word recognition, if I don't see something, I need to be able to continue to build. And I think that it really does have an emphasis that we move not just from the simple to the complex, but we also need to make sure that we have the opportunity of access, right? That we also need to make sure that our students have the not only the tools, but the, the chance to be successful. So if we're going to give them a text that is accessible, but we also want to challenge them, it with we have to ensure that they can see themselves being successful, right? So if I'm going to do vocabulary, great. Well, what are some routines and tasks that enable me to access those, those words, right? Maybe, you know, my specialty is with multilingual learners. Visuals are huge. Now, visuals support every student, but they are especially meaningful for my multilingual learners. This is what we want. And that's really where, you know, we want to support. Now, I'm going to go back for a second to talk about the difference between do we need intervention or is it an engagement issue? Because that's that's the big piece. Because if we don't know that, we can't move forward. So that's the one thing that we need to kind of figure that out. How do we find out? It's data. That's that four-letter word <laughs> that no one really wants to talk about. It is a four-letter word, but it's not a bad four-letter word, right? We need to know where our students lie. That's benchmarking, right? That's, that's ensuring that we have proper assessment tools to, to see where our students are and meet them where they are, but not hold them there, right? We, low expectations are going to produce low results. So we want to ensure that our students have high expectation and make sure that, you know, we build on that, upon that. Now, in that piece, you know, we want to differentiate in that. So in those different pieces, how do we support that? So once I know and I have data and I have a, a solid assessment piece and, you know, Ryan was talking about there's so many students, right? You know, an elementary teacher has, they do the differentiation piece so well. They have 25, 30 students in their class and they have them for every subject and all day and you get to know your students. But here's the thing, we don't, as middle school teachers, we'll have 100, 150, right? And that's a challenge. But 
we also now have technology. So we need to lean into that technology and we need to be able to say, okay, I'm going to take this assessment online. I know we don't like to all the time, but we need to do that because it's going to save us time. And we need to be able to have a trusted resource that's going to say, okay, this has been, you know, research-based. This is going to be, make sure that it's, you know, criterion-based or norm-referenced or both. It's just fine up to you, whichever one you want to use, right? And then say, okay, now I know where my students are. Now I need to meet them and support them at that point. So does that make, and again, I talk in paragraphs, guys. So, <laughs> so please make sure that, you know, if there's questions and talking about those different pieces. And I'm seeing messages that are, you know, coming into the chat. So I just want to, um, you know, any, any, you know, Ryan, jump in. I'm doing all the talking. <laughs> A lot of people are uh, making some comments about the value of those short texts that are still yes. powerful and complex. And I think that's very important. But I do mm. want to go back to something that you guys both touched on a little bit, which was this engagement piece, right? Because we cannot teach students if they are not engaged and want to be a part of that learning process with you, right? So I want to ask you, um, what can we do to really engage our middle schoolers in learning so that we can get them to those levels of mastering those reading skills? Ryan, I'm going to let you take yeah. it first. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I also saw a question in the chat about um, how, do, how do we implement social emotional learning into, into these lessons and classes too. And so for me, I think the first level of engagement is creating a culture of belonging in the classroom. Uh, students have to feel like they belong. They have to feel that their voices are heard, that their experiences are valued, uh, and that we see them as, as contributing both cultural, academic, linguistic assets to the classroom environment. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that we obviously don't have things to teach them and, and skills that, uh, that we have to learn, but I think approaching that from the, the beginning is critical. And I, I would argue that there is, I don't think the SEL content is like a separate thing. I think that is built into the types of so, uh, selections that we choose, uh, the types of activities that we ask students to engage in. Uh, the, the amount of time that they have to bring themselves into the classroom, whether that's through writing, speaking, other activities. So, I mean, I think the first level of engagement has to start with that, that classroom culture uh, that we create by making sure that every student feels they belong. Um, Michelle, what do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. And I think that students need to feel that they have agency in what, in what they're learning and what they're reading. So oftentimes, by the time a student gets to middle school, and if you think about it, if you look across the board, when you see um, scores in, for example, third grade, right, those standardized tests and everything else, I'm rolling my eyes, but the, the, the third grade scores and eighth grade scores, they drop precipitously. Why? Because that lack of feeling hurt, right, that lack of connection, of of that support, not support that we're not supporting them, but really seeing themselves in what they're learning, right? Seeing, making those, those that through line of what's happening. Oftentimes our students are reading just to finish or they're reading just to find the answer. There's no joy in that. So they're not really making any connections. So 
with that, that social emotional piece is that we want them to say, well, if I'm going to teach Call of the Wild, I'm just putting out a standard eighth grade text, right? <laughs> um, maybe I'm going to sh- teach another short story that reflects an experience that my students have taught or, or something that they may have, have a reflection to. And, and then we can make those connections, right? Maybe I enable, use resources that they can start to participate in more collaborative conversations, that it's not necessarily always about the answer, but about the journey to getting to the answer. Every child wants to feel heard. Every child wants to make sure, or they want to know that their their assets, their voice is important. And every child, every human, right? So with that, if I don't feel like my voice is being heard, I've shut down. So that's that, that honestly, that's the hugest part of engagement. So if we're able to start to give our students those tools, that's a big, big piece of it. And then I can say, okay, now what about this? What about that, right? And then the students are going to say, yeah, but. And all of a sudden, it's like putting vegetables into, <laughs> into your child, your, your toddler's food, right? They're close reading. Right. They're able to start to to say, well, if I go back into there and I'm doing this, they're citing text evidence. Right. And they're not even realizing that they're doing it because oftentimes we'll equate close reading as reading it over and over and over again. And what happens? Our students are like, oh, we're reading this again. Right. (laughs) They're not. Nobody wants. They don't want to do it. I mean, if your students were anything like mine, they're like. Ms. Burns again, right? So it's really, Melissa, you know exactly what I'm saying, right? So it's really important to give them that, that again, I keep on coming back to the word agency, right? These are those tools. And now what do I do? Well, now you got to prove it. Now you got to write about it. It's really an important piece. And that's that social emotional piece is, is threaded throughout because now we're a community of learners. And, yeah, you know, it, a, I'm so sorry, Michelle. You can no, continue. Please, please, please go. I'm talking. Like We've got a lot of great <laughs> questions that are that are yeah, popping through now, and I just wanted to address a few of them. Um, so we have some. Christopher asks, "What do you think is the best pre-reading exercise to get kids ready for a new text, or reviewing or rereading a text?" Oh, the wow, best. Oof. <laughs> um, so there are so many different ones and there's so many ways to, depending on the different text, right? So I am to review, I'm a big fan of a three, two, one, because that is a great way that's, that's super, super fast. And if you're not familiar with a three, two, one, um, three facts that you remember, right? Two um, oh, got two questions that that you may still have. One big idea, 
right? That is a great exit ticket. That's a great way to do with like a quick formative assessment to see where your students are. It's also a way if you did it like at a table, students are exchanging ideas. That one kind of makes me happy. Ryan, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great one. I mean, I'm a huge fan. I've seen, uh, you know, for a for a way to prep students for reading, I think anticipation mm -hmm. guides mm -hmm. are really, uh, really helpful. You know, quick little, we would often do quick little five question responses that might connect to the theme or, you know, often I think too, if we're looking for specific strategies or, or making sure we're focusing on those language elements of the science of reading, mm -hmm. sometimes you can build those anticipation guides to focus on perhaps the literary skill that you're, you're taking a look at. So for example, if you're looking at, you know, theme or you're looking at uh, maybe the way an author uses language, like figurative language, giving the students some anticipatory questions related to those types of things, I think can give you a sense of what you might want to focus on. Mm -hmm. uh, I know, I think pulling things out of, uh, con I'm sorry, putting things in context as much as possible for students within those readings. Uh, so then it's, it becomes not just an esoteric reading experience, uh, because obviously we want kids to be connected to that, but we we have some responsibility to engage them in those in teaching those language skills uh, that we're building on from from elementary school. So I think those types of strategies can be pretty helpful as you're you're digging your way through and and helping students launch into a text, particularly if it's something that they're unfamiliar with. Mm -hmm. I also love to before you're kicking something off, if it's um, a text or something that they're not familiar with, to if it's something for if it's, if it's a longer text or if it's something like a period piece, just to kind of give them you know some visuals, you can give them some idea of the culture, language. Listen, we live in a uh, you know, we have the world at our fingertips, right? So let's say you wanted to do something and the text was from the 18th century, right? Show them what they're, what they're looking at. That would be beneficial for language development. If you're talking about for foundational skills, let them listen to the text. Maybe you want to kind of help support that because, you know, having, having some of the, the, the pronunciations that's a really huge piece as well. And you can kind of connect that content. But honestly, just giving them some of the skills as a precursor to what you're doing. So saying, hey, um, I want, just like what Brian was saying, we're going to be looking at figurative language because this text is huge with figurative language. So let's point this out. And I'm going to show you in this paragraph that's enormous, right? Um, depending on if I'm looking at whatever type of text, right? Because we definitely want to, you know, if I'm going to tie the text to a writing test, point out what you want. I always joke around, model, 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 right? Get the runway out. You, you are going to be there doing all of this because they don't know what they don't know. So model what your expectations are. At the end of the day, you are showing them. They have no idea. And especially after the last few years, they really have no idea. So model it and really give them the tools and then say, now, what do you think? Can you do something different? That way, it doesn't have to be exactly what you said. 
and that allows them to be creative as well. Absolutely. Um, we have a few other questions, but I think they kind of tie to some other pieces that we're going to get to here. So okay. I want to go ahead and move forward. Uh, we talked a little bit about engagement. We talked about SEL. Um, on the line of those things, how do we select texts that are engaging, that are relevant, that hit on those socio-emotional skills, but are still challenging and uh, really infuse that rigor into what they're learning? Yeah, I mean, I think that undergirding every ELA classroom needs to be a strong core curriculum. I mean, just at its at its foundation, uh, you know, whether that's something that's teacher curated, whether that's something that you, you know, you have acquired from a publisher or from another location, you need to have a strong core piece there that's that's grade level appropriate and i know that that can be challenging because if you're curating that yourself that's a lot of work right to match up lexile levels to grade level standards uh, to think about those things but if we're from an equity perspective if we are truly going to say hey i'm teaching eighth grade content here we have to make sure that that core curriculum uh lines up with with that uh those standards and those grade level expectations Beyond that, I think it's a real honest look at the students that we're serving and thinking about what are the, the stories and the experiences that are going to both reflect their life as well as give them windows uh, into the experiences of others uh, and build that, that compassion. I know I think it's very easy for us sometimes to only teach the texts we like. Uh, we fall into, and I know I'm guilty of this as well, falling into uh, you know, hey, this is this text worked really great with a group of students in the past, so it must be the one that we have to use moving forward. Uh, and so I think that's why not only do you need a, a core curriculum, but that core curriculum has to have a lot of options. Uh, if you have limited options, it just makes it very difficult to pivot or the burden then falls completely on you as the teacher to find that. And you have a lot on your plate already. So having that solid base resource from which to pull in engaging texts, uh, texts that speak to your students that are at of the appropriate grade band level and that you can then differentiate from is what I would say is a good first step. Uh, Michelle, what do you think? Oh, 100%. And so one of the things that's, that's you, you hit it perfectly. Um, you really want to make sure that you have that baseline and every student should be able and should have the opportunity and the access to, to reach those tools and those, those texts. And then we want to be able to scaffold all of those and, and make sure that we can do anything that we need to, to differentiate. And we were talking about it a little bit before about that differentiation and, you know, whether it's skills-based or that one text or how to, however we utilize that, but we want those texts to be you know, that, that it, those engaging texts, that's half the battle. And, and the reason why I say that is because if they are excited about reading this text, well, they're going to want to read the text. And if they're not excited, they're just going to go through the motions. And then you're just you're going to be like, you know, Bueller, <laughs> is anyone home? <laughs> right. And 
you know, you want to be sure to, to say, all right, wherever my students are on the spectrum, right, whether they need additional scaffolds or they need to, you know, if you need to give them some tools or some things to just push them a little bit further, right? Here's where you want to allow them to find their voice again. I keep on saying that. Notice I have a theme. <laughs> but that's that's really important because they, again, they don't know what they don't know. And if we give them the opportunity to stop, to start talking about it, Here's where you really get to, 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 to hear what they're doing, because they might say, oh, this sounds boring, but then you start to get them talking about it. This is a really powerful piece. Sometimes the strategies that you use are what really help propel that engagement. Um, one of them is are the, the, the signposts. And those signposts are huge. I don't know if anyone know, is familiar with the notice and note signposts, but those are, are phenomenal because every student gets has a voice. And there's fiction ones and there's nonfiction ones. And here, what you'll see is those fiction ones, for example, if you take a look at them, right? You see how we have, you know, memory moments, words of the wiser, aha moments, tough questions. I'm not going to read them all. But here, there's going to be an anchor question that goes along with them. Well, we've all had that one student in class that raises their hand and says, you know, answers the question. And, and, and then it feels like it's you and that one student talking in the class. Right. Okay. But everyone here is able to find their voice here, right? So let's talk about, for example, words of the wiser. These signposts are just like the signposts when we're driving, right? You know that when I come to one of them, I have to stop. I notice, I note, I stop, right? So what's the life lesson? How might this affect the character? Well, my response to that is very different than probably Ryan's response or Melissa's response. And now we're going to have this discussion, this dialogue. And I can say whatever I want, but I have to go back and cite text evidence. I'm going to annotate and I'm going to go and we're going to have those discussions. And now we're really going to start asking more questions. And I can do this in fiction and nonfiction as well. And this is where our students are engaged. This is where our students start to say, oh, that's what that was about? Wait a minute, that's pretty cool, right? And now they start to becoming critical readers, critical thinkers. This is really that discourse that starts to happen no matter where they are. Ryan, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think this is where I see a lot of questions about like, what are the technical aspects of like ensuring science of reading or uh, engaging with those uh, more structured practices. And I think mm -hmm. this is one way in which mm -hmm. in the middle school classroom, uh, you can build on the skills-based instruction that happens in K-5 and continue to then deepen that practice in, a, in an adolescent uh, context. 
So notice these signposts, uh, and again, these are from the notice and note strategies developed by Kyleen Beers and Bob Probst. These require uh, students to understand some text. Uh, so there, there's an assumption here that in parallel with these signposts, students are continuing to develop their vocabulary. They're developing their understanding of literary terms. So we're doing that technical work uh, on one stream and then now asking students to apply that in a more critical uh, lens as Michelle was talking about. So I think for, in my mind, the big aspect of the science of reading in middle school and how that continues to expand is what kind of structures can we build in to give students a framework by which to hang their analysis as they're developing, continuing to develop those foundational pieces and so the notice and note signposts are just one that we found to be really effective because they're so transferable. They're not story specific. You can use them in a variety of contexts. And as Michelle mentioned, whether you're reading fiction, nonfiction, poetry, uh, drama, any of those components. So great way to, to build some, some infrastructure and to help adolescent readers. And I do want to add, just notice those three big questions for a second, right? And look at the language. This is completely asset based right? What surprised me? So here I'm looking at this text and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is different, right? What did the author think that I already knew? So now in this, it's not what did I not know, right? This is what did the author think that I already knew? So now I'm looking at author's purpose. I'm looking at the text as a writer. I am starting to to really establish all of those elements of that rope in a real meta way. And then finally, what challenge changed or confirmed what I already knew? So now in that element, all of these pieces, and you can use those big questions with anything. It's pretty amazing. And, and by the way, when we were talking about exit tickets and we were talking about all of these, th those are fantastic, those three big questions. Mm -hmm. And here, now I can turn around and say, you know what? I knew that this was gonna happen in the story. Okay, middle schooler, right? <laughs> well, now here's, here's a great way to say, yes, I absolutely knew that. And here's the three big questions and here's how I knew it. And here's my annotations for it. Fabulous, right? And these are those things that, like Brian was saying, are transferable, but this is an amazing way for them to really start thinking about how they're reading. And they're not replacing those comprehension skills, but they're augmenting them, right? They're really giving them a functional way of utilizing these tools. This is how we look at structured literacy. This, there's, there's so much power in this. Absolutely. And this is getting into some really like explicit terms of what is science of reading? What is what is not science of reading? And we had several questions around that coming through the chat. So mm -hmm. do you guys want to provide any clarification for our audience here of when we're talking about touching on the instructional elements of science of reading? What is it that we're talking about? And how do you know if you are utilizing it when you're teaching? Well, I mean, I think to your point at the beginning, Melissa, the, the science of reading is obviously engaging in research-based practices that build students towards functional literacy, engaging in both pieces of that, those, that reading rope simultaneously, right? That's the end goal. 
I think it's uh, a temptation to say we're going to have a quick litmus test to, to say this is the science of reading um, or th this one thing will be the curative to all of our students' struggles related, related to reading. So I want to, particularly when we get to the middle school, uh, I think making sure that you have a research-based core resource uh, and instructional practices that are, are developing this systematically over time. Because I think we're, we all are, and, and I include myself in this, we, we tend to perhaps not focus on things as systematically or as we, as we perhaps should, because we like a certain text or you know, we've always done it a particular way. You know, we do X text at X time of year. But looking at that, uh, to Michelle's point earlier, what is our benchmark data telling us that we need to focus on? Building a system, then using our core resource and perhaps scaffolding with other tools uh, to make sure that we're moving students towards proficiency and measuring that over time and not just saying, yeah, I think we're doing that. I think we're doing a good job, uh, but actually having some, some data to, to back that up. That's, that's kind of my two cents. What do you think, Michelle? Absolutely. And I think that also when we start thinking about this, you know, remember that science of reading is 100% a, a wealth of research, right? It's not a, a curriculum. It's not a book. <laughs> it's not just one thing. It really is knowledge. And so with this, the signposts are a huge step towards that in middle school. But another piece of it is to really think about how am I supporting my students with background knowledge, right? How am I supporting my students with vocabulary skills? Um, how do I make sure that those different strands and those different key points in that reading rope are addressed because remember everything is cumulative they have all of these different tools that build upon each other but they are building blocks so we need to ensure that if i if my students need some more support that i differentiate accordingly so we started talking about this a little bit before about that differentiation um, you know, my elementary teachers, they do a great job because they're able to, to stay with their students. They know them all the time. But as middle school teachers, because we have them one period a day and there's so many of them, we really do need to rely on the data. And we really need to rely on utilizing both formative and summative assessments to see where my students' needs are. Well, once I have that, I need to find the tools to support them, right? And I need to be able to utilize that. So lean into the data, find that research-based resource to say, okay, I have this assessment. Now I can group my students because I don't need to sit there with graph paper and you know go through my line items and see things like that. So I can see where my standards are. And now I can say, okay, um, I have these five students that, that need support here, and I can do a differentiated group. Student, you know, in K to five, there is so much small group work, and it's amazing. Then suddenly, somewhere around sixth grade, 
it stops. <laughs> Why? Everyone needs differentiation. If you're in an honors class, you still need differentiation. Everyone doesn't learn the same and at the same pace. Differentiate. Rely on what the tools that you have to do that. Find a resource that has a grouping tool. It works great. It saves you so much time. And then find it where you can pull the resources for those grouping tools, whether it's by standard or by skills or whatever you need. So then that way, you know, you don't have to do all the heavy lifting. By no means are we asking you to, you know, add another 5,000 <laughs> hours to your day. You have enough on your plate. There are resources out there to make your lives easier. And honestly, it will make your lives easier if you start to differentiate right away. I'll stop talking now. <laughs> that's what, Ryan, do you have anything? That's great information. Ryan, do you have anything to add about differentiation? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's about being, differentiation is about high touch and high tech when yes. possible. Um, because, you know, having a data point from one assessment is helpful. And you need a lot more information to be able to correctly support your students in their varying needs. And so you have to be intimately involved with that. And I think that's, I think for most of us who are teachers, that's not a hard thing, right? We want to be engaged with our students. We want to, we want to get as much information about them as we can, both analytically from assessment perspective, but also just what are their interests, what motivates them, those types of things. So we have to be high touch, but we live in an era now where there are so many great tools to be able to, as Michelle mentioned, automatically group students, to be able to, when you've identified that students are struggling with a particular standard in your state, to find content that matches that, that you can then practice and fit that into your overarching instructional plan. So I think when we think about differentiation at middle school, it's again, coming back to that systematic research back core instruction, and then using either a tool that you've created or a native tool that's built into a program to then find those differentiated pieces. And hopefully over time that continues to show growth. I know we've seen that uh, with a lot of schools across the country that we work with uh, to be able to mm -hmm. really hone in on those pieces and then uh, measure that growth over time. And that's, that's a long-term commitment. It's not a, you know, it's not a one week fix. Uh, right. it, it's something that we have to continuously work at. And I think, again, that's why that systematic approach in a research-backed environment is what's most critical. Absolutely. So we have a little bit of time left. I will take a couple of more questions, uh, but I did want to point you guys to one more thing before we jump into a couple more questions. Um, Coming to your inbox either today or sometime in the next couple of days, you will have a follow-up email. And in this follow-up email is an interactive planning guide for uh, building on those middle school foundational skills. And a lot of the questions that I was seeing coming through the chat were, what is the tangible aspect of this? What does this actually look like to implement into my planning, into my whole group, into my small group, into independent and assessment? And you can find all of that in this interactive planning guide. And it uses a really clear example with vocabulary. But not only do you get this planning guide, we got we have for you five little downloadable freebies that are in here because we know you love freebies. When I was a teacher, I loved getting freebies. There are uh, There is a 
lesson planning um, template. There are vocabulary activities. So be on the lookout for this. It will be coming into your inbox very soon. And we hope that it gives you lots of great resources for this coming school year. Uh, we have just a couple of minutes left. I know we had a ton of questions coming in. I am so, and we are also incredibly appreciative for how involved you guys were in this conversation. It's been so incredible. Um, we will take a couple more questions. Nancy asks, what kind of formative or summative assessments do you use? Or um, I'll just kind of frame this as, what would you recommend? You want to start, Ryan? Well, I, I'm a sucker for a good writing assessment. Um, I think <laughs> writing is, is the, it's one of the best ways we can see how students are, uh, are learning. Uh, you know, can they internalize what we've been talking about and then communicate that themselves? Uh, so I love to use uh, things like mentor texts, uh, where let's say I want my students to write a short argument. If I provide them with a, a mentor or a guide uh, within the context of perhaps a, a unit, uh, to then have them try to mimic that same uh, sort of style uh, as a way of, of internalizing uh, and demonstrating that they they know how to write in that particular in that particular vein. So I think short writing assignments and longer writing assignments are definitely there's so many applications both both as formative and summative. I know those are challenging to grade from a time perspective, mm -hmm. but I do feel like from a data uh, window, they give up you a really clear insight of what students are are doing. Michelle, so, what do you think? Um, uh, well, I, I look at things a little bit different because as a language development lens, um, I love performance tasks. So I am very big on you know rubrics and enabling students to bring their assets to the table, where summative assessments are fantastic um, and they give you a lot of data they only give you that day, right? And and writing is amazing as well. And I think that, you know, quick writes and those things are great. If I'm struggling with writing itself or things, you know, having tools to do that is important. And there are resources that enable students to be able to dictate and things like that. Um, but I also think that having alternative tasks, things like rubrics and ensuring that students can show what they know in a manner that brings their assets to the table are huge. So let's say um, we're talking about author's purpose. I could have, and you know, again, many quality research-based core pieces, you do not have to make them up yourself, right? So having a rubric or having something that says, um, here's what will help demonstrate knowledge is powerful. Also having tasks that enable students to different styles, right? So it doesn't have to necessarily be a summative, you know, multiple choice writing assessment. It could be a storyboard, right? It could be um, a podcast. It could be, you know, because if you think of a podcast where, by the way, every middle schooler loves it because they all think that they're podcasters. Um, <laughs> you know, you could think about what, what has to go into creating a podcast, right? You have to write the script. You have to create it. You have to think about all those different pieces. There's a lot in there. Um, that's another great tool to showcase what they've learned. So that's those are all just wonderful ways to kind of take it 
a different route without it, without the intimidation and the fear that goes into an assessment. Absolutely. And those are all really creative suggestions. So I love that. Um, let me see if I can find us at least one more question before we call time. Um, what is the difference between middle school foundational skills and skills that aren't foundational? I'll address this really quickly, uh, just with a, a little housekeeping note here. Um, we've had some questions come through about like revisiting a slide or what does this slide say or what is foundational skills and there, you know, the things that we covered in this presentation, you guys will also be getting access to this presentation. And for this question specifically, if you look at the slide with Scarborough's reading rope, foundational skills at middle school are those language comprehension skills. Foundational skills at elementary school are mostly for focused on those word recognition skills. Um, so let's see if we can jump to one more question. Uh, and also all the people who are asking about signposts, uh, you will also have those pictures uh, if you want to look at those one more time on these slides. Um, okay, so how can I help students who need more support in Oh, no, we answer, We did answer that question. Sorry, guys. Uh, what can I do with English language students who are still learning the language but have to read the same text as my other students as required by the curriculum? Michelle, I think this would be a great question for you <laughs> your specialty. Absolutely. Okay, so great question. So what you want to do, honestly, is build their assets, background knowledge, let them listen to the text. So hopefully there's an audio piece that's embedded within there. Um, enable them to continually be able to kind of talk about it. If they have to write about it, um, see if there's a, a way that they can start, start in their native language and then to start building within there. And it also depends on where they are on the continuum of language development. So if we are, you know, if they're newcomers, that's going to require a different level of scaffolds than someone, you know, than a student that is, I, I'm just going to go with level three or four or five. And I know some of you, some of you are going to be like, what is she talking about? But those, the person who asked knows. Now, it, within all of those different pieces, you know, here's where those students, it will benefit because the more we listen, the more it's going to become accessible. And even within those, chunk it. We all know, how do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time, chunk the text and make sure, and, you know, and build those connections. And then as you scaffold, what does a scaffold do? A scaffold is there temporarily and we can slowly remove them. That's what we wanna do for our students. They're never permanent. I know with that very brief amount of time, you know, that's, that's what I would recommend. <laughs> Absolutely, Michelle. Thank you so much for weighing in. And thank you for to everyone who attended today, who was a part of this presentation and all of your active questions and participation. We appreciate you taking the time during your summer break. Uh, be on the lookout for that planning item that's coming to your inbox. I hope you guys have a great afternoon and soak up the last few weeks of summer vacation before school starts. Have a wonderful afternoon, everyone. It was great seeing you. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, everyone. Right. Appreciate your thoughts. Bye, everyone. Thank you.
We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.